best friends i'm tabby and i'm caitlin and today we are discussing happy place by emily henry and we're so excited it's our favorite i'm just this gonna spoiler alert at my top read of the year yeah and right after book check wow i know i've read two bomb ass books since book check you're right because yeah. fourth wing fourth oh. wing guys you gotta read it you've got to read it we should talk about we should do it for the podcast yeah we'll squeeze it in somewhere we'll fit her in but this is also like in terms of non-fantasy my favorite yeah oh yeah what would you rate this book um 103.4 out of 10 because i think i have been healed as a person yeah like we don't need therapy anymore because we know i actually canceled my next therapy session yeah because you're like i'm good i'm a new woman (laughs) um yeah i would absolutely rate this 10 out of 10 this is actually my new favorite emily henry book which is saying a lot because it used to be book lovers i I love love book book lovers so much so this one is like top tier and i'm really glad i got to read it so yeah we'll kind of jump in just talking about the characters as Um, always yeah so we'll start with harriet she is our main character, and I cherish her. She is. She so needs sexy. to be protected at all costs. She needs a she hug. She needs a hug, but only from Wynn because she doesn't like physical contact, and that's okay. That is okay. But, like, God, she bottled up a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I just feel bad. Like, she literally just wanted everyone to be happy, like, and that's all she cared about to the point where she didn't even prioritize her own happiness. And it, and that's so sad, too, because she wanted everyone to be so happy that she acted like she didn't care about things when she should have. Yeah. And she did. Yeah. But and she's it trying to be cool Ended about up, it. like, backfiring and kind and of, like, pushing like, God, away. That hurts deeply. Yeah, it really does, because she fully, like, misunderstood like how to keep people close because of the example that like her family set for her when she was growing up and yeah, like put it behind a closed door and forget about it yeah she's like we don't even need to talk about it it's it's totally fine and that's not how people work like you have to put it all out there the part of her like forcing herself to stay in a career like just to keep people proud of her that shit hurted yeah i cannot even like begin to imagine like getting that far <laughs> into a career either because like that's a lot of work that is dedication and like my my older sister Caitlin knows her obviously <laughs> um <laughs> has is in med school right now and so I was just thinking you know about her it's like imagine she gets all the way through to her last year of residency and is just like yeah I've actually hated this this entire time and I didn't want to tell anybody my yeah. heart would shatter I, it really, really hurt to read about because I think, like, while I can't relate to it like that, like, specifically, I can relate to it in a way that I think every, like, gifted child, like, quote-unquote gifted child can relate and, like, everyone's telling you you're so special, you can, like, do so much more than, Mm -hmm. than we ever did, like, and then you get to a point where it's, like, I'm actually not special, like, what are they seeing, like and then things get hard and it's like what am I doing here like I hate this well and I really think too kind of what she was feeling that entire time because she even said like 
you know, med school was a breeze and mm-hmm. like college was a breeze. And that's, a, that's how a lot of gifted children are. Yeah. But then she gets to the real world application of this and you get just crazy imposter syndrome. Yeah. And in her case, like she actually was like, no, I am an imposter because I actually hate being here. Right. And that's and hard. She didn't really click with any of the people in her residency except for the older student. Yeah. And I think that kind of like made her feel even more like an outcast. And then whenever she did try to bond with Martin, who was her co-resident, he like hit on her and kissed her. Which and she was, was like, what the fuck? Up. <laughs> yeah, like she was trying so hard to finally like kind of make friends and put herself out there. And then she just immediately felt betrayed. And so like that was so fucking sad. Uh, Martin's disgusting too like especially for how he treated Wynn as well so like that first initial meeting when he was just like oh what kind of degree did you have to get to reupholster furniture it's like fuck you first of all and then when like he did kiss her and he was like well Wynn's not even here so yeah what did you expect it's like uh for you to not do that probably (laughs) for you to be respectful and like treat me like a peer like I don't know yeah that is Martin's the true villain that, of this story. Yeah, like, he really is a dick. And, it, of course, it rubbed me the wrong way because, like, yeah, I have a blue-collar husband as well. Like, I just, I think, like, people belittling work like that, like, they just need to touch grass because yeah. literally that's the majority of the workforce is doing these things right. that are necessary. And, like, the fact that you think it's so below you, like, that's just embarrassing, honestly. Well, and I think that's partially why I related to Win a lot is because, like, and we'll we'll talk about it too later. Is that like he struggled in school, like school was yeah. not his thing, and then went into like a retail type career, and like was having a really hard time like figuring out what exactly he wanted to do, like what was going to make him happy. And it's like I've been doing that for a long time as well, and like yeah. it sucks, and especially like when you got to that part where like they were obviously like trying to make him feel bad about the career field he's in it's like that hit really hard for me and it like hurt my feelings a lot for win yeah I can totally see that and honestly like okay like Cole and I were just talking like recently I don't know if it was last night or the night before because he's kind of like considering like looking at other job options and he's like I just don't know like what I want to do yeah exactly. and I was like that's so normal like nobody knows what they want to do but it's hard because sometimes it feels like you should know it's one of those second child things yeah <laughs> I mean honestly it really is <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny but yeah like, like speaking of when another thing that broke my heart is like so when he's like canonically a hottie like he's an attractive and charming guy and- I loved him he makes like a really good first impression, you know? Yeah. And then he gets worried to get close to people because he thinks that as soon as they get to know him, they're going to realize they don't actually like his personality. So the funny thing about Wynn is that I like, okay, so I like the choice Emily Henry made in how she does introduce Wynn because Harry gets to the, the lake house, right? And wins there and immediately she starts talking about like how it ended and how it was a four minute phone call and like there were so many unanswered questions and I was ready to hate this man from the get go I was ready you were like a four minute phone call fuck I was like fuck this guy (laughs) he's blonde no not for me I know (laughs) and 
But then we jump to the first happy place chapter and like he picks her up and they have the same sense of humor and they're bantering. And you can tell that he is just having a really hard time, like figuring out his lot in life. And you're immediately just like, oh, yeah, I can never hate him. I know. And then the fact that like he's obviously like really attracted to Harriet right off the bat. But she's like, no, like she's like, that's no she's like i'm slow release hot and he was like what he's like okay he was like i'm pretty sure i thought you were like hot hot well and it's funny too because he doesn't know how to flirt with her and so every time he'd say something just so off the cuff harry'd be like oh my god like quit flirting with me i know and i'm oh. like stop i'm kicking my fucking feet in the air right now it was like so freaking cute and like the fact that they they had like this slow burn I and, like, it. finally, they just, like, decided to kiss in, like, a dark, like, cellar, like, in Wine the cellar. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't imagine, like, how hard their hearts must have been beating in that moment. Well, and I also, like, every single one of these characters, I think, has really good character development. And obviously, we only get to see, like, Harriet's and Wins for the most part. Yeah. But, like, I liked how transparent they ended up making win as a character because like he was very very guarded to begin with and then you find out like he has a lot of anxiety from this accident he had as a child yeah and he's dealing with that and then you know he's suffering from depression because his dad died and then his mom was diagnosed with parkinson's and apparently she's had it for years and now he's in like this whole brand new state where he doesn't know anybody and he's separated from his friends and like, that's where we see kind of the break because it's just they're at a stalemate. They don't know what to do. And then when he comes back and he's like, yeah, I got on medicine and I just started doing what I was really passionate about. And he's like, and I never stopped loving you throughout the entire thing. And I feel like it was a good thing that that it happened. And I was I like, know. that is such a, an adult, like, perspective. And I love that for him. Yeah. And it, like, again, it's just so relatable. Like, how many people can relate to that? Probably yeah. a million. <laughs> like, what a, a realistic take on what life truly is. And I think both of them are probably better for it, too, though, that they did have that break. And sometimes, like, that's what you, you know, unfortunately need in a relationship. And I think it was very healthy the way they handled it. Yeah, because it really, like, puts your priorities in perspective. And... I think at first it was kind of rough because Harriet was pissed that he was there. There was because so he much miscommunication. Yeah. But then it, like, the miscommunication was done so tastefully. And we'll yes. touch on this more. But, like, it didn't, it just felt so real. And I, like, could feel each of their emotions. And it just, like, ugh, it made me sad when it was sad. And it made me happy when it was happy. Like, I cried so many different types of tears. Yes. Like sad tears, frustrated tears, happy tears. I can't. Like just empathetic tears at times. Like, yeah, because Harriet was feeling something, I automatically was feeling something. And because Wim was upset, like I was also upset. And that's the best kind of book. It's so good, guys. You have to read it if you haven't already. And if you haven't read it already, quit listening. Why are you listening right now? Quit yeah, it. You're going to get spoilers. So we'll talk about Sabrina. 
right off the rip, I actually loved Sabrina. Mm -hmm. I loved the energy she brought to the group. She was obviously kind of like the glue that held the three of them together. Yeah. Um, I love that she obviously comes off as very preppy, but she has the weirdest quirks about her. And like, that doesn't matter though, because she's very sure of herself, even though she's had a lot of things in her life that could affect the way she does see herself. And I'm not saying she doesn't have insecurities and she very much does because we see that later in the book, but yeah, for the most part, like she's just a very genuine person. I know like my first introduction to her, I was immediately like, yes, that's someone who I would want to befriend in real life. I would be very drawn to her energy because she's, she's very extroverted and she's very good at like getting people together and like that's not my strong suit necessarily yeah. in a in like a group friendship and so like w- at the end when things start to fall apart then you just feel horrible because what she was trying to do was make sure she didn't lose these people who she right. considers that they're the only family she's ever had but like they're so frustrated with her because they feel manipulated and that's like not what she was trying to do which she did she yeah. did manipulate them but it was coming from such a good place like it was not malicious at no, all like she literally just wanted everyone to love each other <laughs> and i get that like i really i really did resonate with that because it's like you do want to like reminisce on the good times in your life and like you do want to highlight all the good things that you've done together and i think that's kind of part in sabrina's whole thing is that They've grown up, but they don't want to. Like, they don't want to feel like they've yeah, grown up and, like, outgrown each other. And I think that's what feels so hard for them. It's, like, because they assume that Harriet is pushing them away. And they assume mm-hmm. that now that Wynn and Harriet are broken up, like, Wynn will distance himself. And they assume that Cleo is pushing them away. And so they're just, like, desperately, like, grasping for straws. And they're they're, like, please don't leave us. Because they don't have anyone else. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that Parth really was close to his family. It definitely didn't. No. Really, like, it, it kind of sounded it. like Parth, like, maybe came from a lot of money, but it was a similar thing where, like, they just didn't really care much about each yeah. other type of thing. They're just too busy. We just don't know anything about him. We know honest. nothing about Parth except that he's the party king. It was hard for me to, like, fully appreciate, like, his and Sabrina's relationship. Because I didn't understand it. Yeah, and I think if I had to choose a character that I didn't like, it would probably be Parth. Because the second that Sabrina gets scared, not even gets scared, she was just upset and lost. And she felt like she was losing the only family that she had. He didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. And he didn't understand that she needed him to come to her. Because she obviously felt like she had overstepped and like no one wanted to be around her. And I think it's really scary that they were getting married the next day and he was going to just sit there and wait there. And And Harriet had to be the one to be like, like, hey, "Hey, maybe she's like lost or like perhaps we should go find her. Yeah. And And then he's like, what if she's dead? He did seem to panic to his credit. But why did it take so long? (laughs) Why did it have to be spelled out for him? I don't know. And I know that they, like, so in the kind of the backstory of them, like, being roommates in college, I know that they, like, Parth and Sabrina kind of had almost, like, a rivalry. 
And I just wish maybe we knew more about that because I think if we did, we'd understand more of their chemistry. Yeah. Um, Because it feels like it was kind of an enemies to lovers type situation. But we just don't have that information. It kind of like was giving like office rival vibes for sure. I did (laughs) love Sabrina. I loved, again, her sense of humor is very dry and you could tell like she is just very quick with like her comebacks. They all are. They're very, very quick. And I love that because not everyone gets that. (laughs) And it takes a very special group of people to like be able to just like spout off like that. I mean, 100%. And I think you and I have both like unfortunately discovered that like whenever we try to make jokes like at work with people and they just fully don't understand that we're joking or and even like, just with like our family <laughs> yeah I, well it depends it depends what family members yeah. but um sometimes I'm just like shouldn't have said that <laughs> yeah. but I I did love all of their senses of humor it was great so Cleo yeah. Cleo. Cleo. Is that Yeah, I thought that was her name. Or maybe it's Chloe. Oh, Cleo's Holly's dog's name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, Cleo. Cleo the dog and also Cleo the human are both very endearing ladies. I really liked Cleo. Um, I wish I'd gotten a little bit more about her, though, because I feel like I was just as blindsided by Sabrina as Sabrina was when Cleo was kind of being a dick to her. Yeah. And it's just wild because like Cleo was always defined as like this very free spirited, carefree, Mm -hmm. like person who did what she wanted. She was very true to herself. She knew who she was as a person, which I have mad respect for, but then like, she's just very closed off and like very snippy and like, not very kind while on this trip and to them it feels so out of character and they're all kind of blindsided by it and I think what kind of hurt the most about like their big fight is when Cleo said something and Harriet was trying to smooth things over so she was like oh I think what she means is this and Cleo was like no I meant what I said like she doubled down on it and I was like Ooh. That would have made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> I would have cried immediately. Yeah. So like, no, I specifically meant to hurt your feelings when I said that. And it's like, damn, okay. Because it's like, she knows Sabrina was coming from a place of, like, care. Like, she just wanted to, like, understand why her friend didn't want to spend time with her. Right. And I think if Cleo had just given her even, like, some form of answer... Yeah, like, could you have just been like, like, okay, something like, oh, like, things are, things are just kind of like, super hectic. And like, I have a lot going on. Not this month, but like, do you want to come this month when it's less busy? Like offering some form of like compromise, but she's just like, no, I know, because otherwise it feels like, yeah, it just feels like she doesn't want her anymore. No, and that's exactly what Sabrina felt. (laughs) That part of the book made me so sad when they fought. And I'll, I want to talk about Kimmy really quick, too. Like, I thought Kimmy's character was really funny, but I also feel like she might be the friend that, like, you get very, like, socially tired of after a little while. <laughs> like, she seems a little draining. Yeah. But, like, Kimmy obviously knows that Cleo is with child. Mm-hmm. I feel like she was trying to be very loyal to her by not 
you know, spilling the beans on it. But I do feel like she could have buffered a little better than what she did because Cleo would be a bitch and Kimmy would just be like, that's, that's my girl. Yeah, because it, it felt like Kimmy was very, like, unconditionally supportive of Cleo, which is, like, sweet. You should be, but, but also. Yeah, there were times that Kimmy just kind of, like, she would just kind of, like, awkwardly, like, smile and shrug and just be like, oh, you know. Yeah, you know, Cleo. It's you know, like, Cleo. no, who is this lady? Yeah, I think she could have done more, but I think at the same time, Kimmy probably feels like no matter how long she's been friends with the whole group, she probably still feels a little bit like she can't get in the middle of like the original three. Because she's like the newest friend. Yeah. And it, which to me, it kind of feels like, like, let's just imagine that you and Tessa were like in a fight on a vacation and I was there. Yeah. Like. I would probably not want to insert myself in that because no matter how long I've been like basically family to you guys, yeah, there's like still that like difference of like you guys there's are blood sisters, yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean. And so I, I get that kind of how Kimmy probably felt. She didn't want to overstep, yeah, yeah. And I think that's so funny too that like she still kind of feels like the new friend because that was like a big insecurity of Cleo's was that she felt like they all liked Kimmy more than her because she no longer, you know, got blackout drunk and like partied. (laughs) Yeah. And like, that's so like, that's so realistic as well too, though. Cause it's like, there are times where, you know, I just don't want to party or I don't want to go out and do fun stuff. And they'll be like, oh, why can't you be more like your husband or whatever? And it's just yeah. like, that is hurtful. I know. It's like, hey, it's really sometimes hurtful. I just want to like chill in my jammies on the couch and you're welcome to come over, but I can't be clubbing every night. You know, yeah, it's like, I really cherish my like alone time as well. Yeah, same. And I, yeah, I totally get where Cleo was coming from. And I, she didn't want to go sit in a movie theater for five hours. She wanted to enjoy like quality time. And I got, I get it. I get it too, because five hours straight of a movie theater sounds like my personal brand of personal hell. hell, Yes. (laughs) Like that's so boring, especially if it's not a movie you care about. Right. And it's like, you could have definitely, especially if you haven't had a chance to sit and talk with your friends since you got there. Like I would want to do that too. (laughs) Yeah. No, she was so, so justified in that yeah that was valid those are kind of our main six though our homies for life but we did want to just briefly touch on the differences between harriet's family and win's family because i think harriet got really fucked up as a child because of it which Um, it's sad because like i think it's so common because to me the way i interpreted harriet's parents is that they viewed their children as like extensions of themselves instead of individuals and so like Harriet's parents yeah they like sacrificed a lot they like put some dreams on hold but like then they expected their kids to then like go above and beyond like what they did to like make up for it Probably one of the biggest pet peeves I have for parents is when they throw how much they sacrifice for their kids back in their faces so that they get, they do what their parents expect of them. Like, it's like, if you're going to ask you to birth me. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, I, you know, that sucks that you got pregnant as a teenager, you know, that's, that's a hard life. And 
parents who raise children in their teens, like, do have to make a lot of sacrifices. Mm-hmm. However, that is not your child's fault. No, not at all. Like, your child is actually the most innocent person in the entire situation. And, like, part of the problem, too, I think why Harriet felt so alone is because of the age gap between her and Eloise. And she yeah. never felt like like they really had a bunch of, like, sisterly bonding because it's different, like, whenever you are, like, one or two years apart from your sibling versus, you know, five yes. years apart. Like, it's just and they different. were, like, what, eight years, six years apart? I think it was, apart? like, six. Six sounds six. right to me. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty sure. big age gap. It is. And especially whenever, like, the older sibling is, like, kind of a teenager and, like, mm-hmm. you know, because I think of, like, when I was a kid, I had this, like, you know, we had family friends who were, like, we were super close with. And she was only, like, maybe two or three years older than me. But at a certain point, like, when she had gone to, like, middle school and I was still in elementary school, like, I felt like that kind of, like, drip. Yeah. And it, like, I remember it hurting my feelings at the time. And so I, like, cried to my mom about it. And she was like, well, I mean, like, you just, you grow and you get older and your interests change. And yeah, you like explained it to me, but I mean, that is two very different parts of life. It is. And it's like, it's hurtful whenever you're the younger one, I think, because you feel kind of left behind. Well, and I feel like especially, so obviously Eloise is a bit rebellious and like, I love her. I feel like she's very spiteful towards her parents because they, probably threw that in her face more than anyone else what they sacrificed because she yeah. was the child that was born before they were ready. Yeah. And because Harriet is so much younger, I'm sure Harriet, when Eloise was 18 and Harriet was 12, she saw how her parents viewed Eloise as a fuck up. And so I'm sure at age 12, that's probably when she really kicked it into gear and was like, if I'm not the best, my parents are going to hate me like they hate Eloise, which is terrible. No, you're so right, though. Because that is such an important and crucial time in your development where you're trying to figure out who you are as a person, but like in your teenage years, that that probably is exactly where she got fucked up. She, yeah, she became like scarred for life because she was like, if my parents ever were that disappointed in me... I would simply pass away. And so she does everything in her power to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Depressing. Terrible. Well, and then also what really pissed me off too was that Harriet finally explains to her parents the amount of pressure they were putting on her and the amount of pressure she was putting on herself because of what they sacrificed for them, that she was at like a breaking point. And even when her mom was moving her into Mon- like to Montana and getting out of the car, she was still like, I think you're ruining your life. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, I think that's realistic because I don't think her parents would see the error of their ways. I don't at think they'd ever quickly. support her. No. Yeah. And like maybe eventually like 10 years down the line, they'll, you know, kind of grow to apologize for how they behaved. But I wouldn't even like bet money on that. And I mean this in the nicest way, but I hope her parents got divorced um, because I really think that's probably going to be a nice healing process for both of them. Yeah, like they're literally just forcing themselves to live as basically roommates. Like for what? What a terrible life. Yeah. To live with someone that you don't love 
and that you basically are just co-parenting with at this point and never and doing anything doing for a good yourself. Job. Yeah, not doing anything for yourself and not even being good parents at that. Yeah, it's just like that is just miserable for every person involved. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think that's the reality that's a, for a yeah. lot of people. It is. Uh, there's a lot of people who just do not love each other that just stay together. <laughs> God. And that is depressing. Yeah. Uh, in contrast, we have Wynn's <laughs> family. <laughs> who, And it's funny because, again, I keep relating to this book in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of like related to Harriet in this where like my family was like kind of a disaster and then like my husband's family was like all loving and close yes and I was just like I remember like the first time I went to like a family thing when I was dating Cole and I was honestly just like shocked because like everyone was there like all the aunts and uncles your households are very different (laughs) yeah so I can relate to Harriet and like craving that closeness and being like wow this is really nice to feel like oh everyone is here like by choice and like wants to be around each other it's just such a different vibe and like Gloria are what I like crave to be as a parent and and as like a married couple yes I like that is so inspirational they're so so kind and loving. And like, they probably did also make a lot of sacrifices for their children, but they don't throw it in their faces. And like, that's what makes me, I guess, really sad about Wynn too, is that like, at no point did his parents ever say like, you need to be as good as your sisters are. I think they just loved him unconditionally. But like, it probably is hard to live in the house with two, like, essentially geniuses, and then you be... (laughs) a normal person yeah like a completely normal person like Mm -hmm. that is probably hard and especially if you are struggling with like mental health anything like you just create this narrative in your head that everybody like thinks of you that way when no one does and so I'm sure that was really hard for his parents too oh I'm sure because they probably could feel that like insecurity coming off of him And, like, for Wynn, I think it was, like, a snowball effect because, like, when he was in high school, he probably felt, like, pretty good, like, pretty on top of the world. And then as he gets, like, older and, like, closer to graduating high school, he starts to realize, oh, like, people are – people don't consider people like me to be successful. Like, they think that I peaked here and, like, once – and also, again, with his insecurities about – um just being like a good first impression like he doesn't think that people would like him for who he really is and I think that just kind of like spiraled and snowballed and really contributed to his you know depression and anxiety which is yeah because you know like when he came to his parents and was like I need to go somewhere else they're probably like yes like do what you need to do yeah and then when he failed that last class his last semester like I'm sure he just felt like he couldn't tell them because he'd be like they think I'm a failure and I feel like if he had called them and told them that they'd be like hey it's okay like try again yeah or do literally whatever you want to it would be like try again if you want to if not take a break 
figure something else out. Yeah, like I feel like they're just the most supportive parents. And I know it absolutely killed Gloria for him to come back home because I feel like she felt like she was holding him back Mm -hmm. because he felt like he was holding himself back. I know. I know that she did because she felt... I think she felt horrible because she didn't know about the breakup and she thought she was keeping him from Harriet too. Yeah. And so she didn't even tell them that she had Parkinson's because she didn't want to keep them back. (laughs) Like you keep living your lives. You keep doing what makes you happy. But like, ironically, when did like moving back home was what made him happy. And it was even foreshadowed when they, like when they were young and at the lake house for the first, or I guess. What would you do in an house? alternate universe? Yeah. And he was like, I think I, I would have stayed in Montana. And everyone was like, oh, like, I didn't know that about that you. Made me so sad for him. Yeah. Oh, when he is just such a damaged young boy. I know. But now he's a little artisan table maker. I just, I loved that so much for him. It made me so happy. <laughs> Whenever the description came up of, like, how the tables were staged and, like, the natural environments where the wood came from, I was like, that's gorgeous. Like, that's the most beautiful, like, marketing thing I've ever heard of. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. I was so so proud of this fictional character. I couldn't even, like, I cried about it. Me too. I was like, let me share all your stuff on Instagram. Oh, wait. You're not real. Drop the link. (laughs) Drop the link. I don't have 15K, but I got an Instagram. These are the stories that I think make me the saddest when I genuinely just want these people to be real. Yeah. So that I know, like, things like this happen in real life. And... It's also, it's really nice to read and it is nice to escape and to have that where you can read about these fictional people. But I just genuinely wanted that. I know. And I think it's rare. Like it's rare for a book to actually make me feel that way to where I want the characters to be real. But when it happens, it's so consuming. Like I, I could actually weep at the fact that they're not real. Like, when I read the last page, I was, like, physically upset that the book ended. Yeah. Maybe she'll do, she'll pull a beach read and give us an extended epilogue. Uh, I mourned the characters. (laughs) But I think what else is nice, and I actually saw this when I was looking at her website, one of the things she kind of, like, talked about was how these books that she writes, it's, like, it's just a a view into a moment in their lives. And like the characters in these books obviously are going to face more struggles in life. They're going to like deal with more hardships and like come out again, like even stronger on the other side. So it's like, you could kind of just like view it as, yeah, this was just that one time. This is a snapshot in time. Yeah. And like the fact that you just know it keeps going after the end, I think is a little bit (sighs) comforting. I think the last time I felt this was A Court of Mist and Fury. Yeah. When I was like, wow, I want to live here. I want to go to there. Like, I desperately physically need to be here. Yeah, I haven't felt this strongly about characters since the Akatar series. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you know it's a really good book. 
But let's talk about some thoughts and feelings. It's not even necessarily things we liked or disliked, but just general thoughts and concerns. Thoughts and concerns. First of all, I don't have any concerns. Well, no, I have. I think I have like one, but it's not really that big of a deal. Yeah, I do want to like kind of just start off by talking about this because we always talk about like what our favorite tropes are and what tropes we don't really like that much. But this book took literally two of our least favorite it tropes. proved me wrong. And turned them in. It's literally my new favorite book. So the miscommunication trope is not our favorite. And same with like second chance. We usually don't vibe with those. I hate second chance. I know. But the thing is like this book, like the miscommunication was so realistic and like heartbreaking because you just wanted them to just like, please talk it out. Like, please. Yes. Like they were all just so afraid of upsetting the other people to like the point of losing them it kind of backfired because they were all feeling that way and they were all pushing each other apart exactly <laughs> and, and I no one wanted I think that was the beauty of the second chance in this book is that no one did anything wrong and everybody needed a second chance in the yeah. book like everybody needed just a moment to pause and be like okay this is where we are now how are we going to move forward from here yeah. And that was really refreshing. It wasn't one person who had wronged another and they'd split up for years because I hate that shit. Right. I really do. They it didn't was do anything just wrong. everybody yeah. being adults. Yeah. They had just all gotten to different points in their lives and started to feel guilt and started to feel like anxiety about like the friend group, like pulling apart from each other. And so they were all sitting with that in their own minds and they were all getting more anxious and feeling more guilty until it kind of like reached this head of like a fight on this trip and it turns out that's all it took because then they made up and they talked it out and everything's actually fine (laughs) and it's like every time we would flash to a happy place like a memory It made me just root for them even harder because I'm like, what a beautiful, just gorgeous relationship the two of them have. Yeah, they really did. And just the friendships as well. Like even outside of the romantic aspect, like the friendships were so true and like they really would have done anything for each other. And so I just wanted them all to be together. Yeah, I just I wanted genuinely the best for these people. Same. Yeah, that was good. It was a good part. I liked the miscommunication. Emily Henry, thank you. Uh, and the second chance. Thank you for that, for making me believe again. Wow. She made us eat our words. And then I did also want to talk about, like, I think, actually, this is my favorite scene total because the tension, the tensions were still high. And we're, let me take you there. First of all, Kimmy has some edible gummy bears in a movie theater and they all take one (laughs) except for Cleo because she's pregnant secretly, but they all get high and then they leave the theater. It's nighttime. They go on this Ferris wheel and Harriet, because there's still a bunch of tension between her and Wynne, she like tries to sit by Sabrina, but Parth like skips the line to catch up and it puts her with Wynne. And she's like, fuck, like, I can't do this. I'm so high. I can't fucking compete. (laughs) She's like, I can't. And she's, like, still so in love with him. And 
they were both so fucking out of their mind high that they were just like these snippets of truth coming out. Like they were just like talking about like one of them would just say like how beautiful the other was or like, you know, like it would just kind of come out. But they were just like so high that they couldn't like. Like it was nothing but truth like coming out of their mouths. Yeah. The filters were gone and they were just both still so obviously in love with each other. And then like the ending to the scene that breaks the tension is like Kimmy took off Cleo's bra on the car above them. Like that is such a good like tension reliever. Well, and the whole start of that scene kills me because the second Kimmy whips out this bag of gummies, Harry, it's immediately like, Kimmy, are you trying to sell me drugs? And then Parth immediately looks over and he's like, Kimmy, are you selling drugs? And she's like, no, I'm giving them to you. Clarifies that she's not asking for money. <laughs> and it just cracks me up every time. It's so good. One of my absolute favorite like quotes from this book. And I think it's the second that I genuinely like began to wholeheartedly root for these people and their relationship is when Harriet mentions that she's been texting Gloria, but still asks like how she's doing because Gloria doesn't know that they've broken up. And when mentions that Gloria told him that she's been doing pottery and asks to see a picture, she shows him one and he loves it because it's like the colors of Montana and feels like he just she just really encapsulated what the whole state was to him and then he asks is there one that looks like us and she just to herself says they all do you're all you are in all of my happiest places and that's when I'm like okay we've got to get these people back together at any cost (laughs) it's operation Harry and Wynn come on people we've got to get this going And I think like that part was so beautiful and something that made it even more like heartbreaking was at this point, Hank had already passed away and the one that looked like Montana, she actually had named after Hank and she was like really self-conscious about it. She's like, it's stupid. I know. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, why is it stupid? And she said, because I'm not Michelangelo. My vases don't need names. And Wynn holds the phone up and says, this one needs a fucking name. And that name is Hank. And I couldn't handle it. Oh, well, I found out Hank was dead in this book. I cried for like five minutes. I was like, this isn't fair. It's not. Life isn't fair. It's literally not. This is some bullshit. Lesson. Uh, But I love that because it was realistic. Not everyone made it out. And that's how life is. People die. I don't know if you know this. (laughs) And that's sad. And I hate that. Um, I wanted to be mad, like, at every single character in this book. And I couldn't. I just couldn't bring myself to be mad at them. Because I could relate to every single one of them. I know. Like, I've had the exact same thoughts and feelings before. And I'm just like, yeah, that is the most human reaction they had. Yeah, it comes back to just Emily Henry being able to write the most relatable, realistic scenarios that you feel like you are the one in them. Because it's like, yeah, I've been there before. Um, The one bone I did have to pick, and it's not even, like I said, a big deal, but... I'm not, like, sold on the marriage between Parth and Sabrina. I still feel like maybe they should have waited because clearly, like, there was some stuff they maybe should have talked about. And I do still feel like she 
maybe was in a very bad place because she felt like her friends were pulling away. And especially now that we know that she thought or that she knew when and um, Harriet were no longer together. She's yeah. like, this marriage is going to save everyone. Ooh. And it's like, <laughs> I feel like Park maybe should have stepped in there. Yeah, but he wanted to get married so bad. He did, but it's like she obviously was not in an emotionally available place at the moment, and like I feel like I'm sure they're happy, and like I'm sure it ended up fine. It just like it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Something that I think would really benefit the whole Sabrina and Parth relationship is if we had like some kind of epilogue about them. And, like, had some more insight. Yeah, or maybe a book about them. I would even read a book about them. Yeah, because I just, like, I want to know why it is that they love each other so much. Because, like, I just don't, I don't see it the way I see, like, Harriet and Wynn and Cleo and Kimmy. Like, I don't see it at the forefront. Yeah. I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. But I just feel like it would be more whole if I could understand their love. Oh, the little Easter egg that she threw in this book and I was so excited about is actually from um, B-Tree. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's my Gus. I, I know, know him. They were talking about like, oh, what Gus was Gus in Winter. Is that her name, Winter? Yeah. Uh, and they were like, oh, and she writes romance novels and he's a grumpy author or something. Like, I was- like, yes, it's our baby. Adam. It's our original babies. Oh, I love them so much. Same. Yeah, Easter eggs. And she does an Easter egg in every single book. And yes. so I'm always just like looking for it. I know. I think another thing that I really like appreciated at the end of this book was the closure that she had with Eloise. Because whenever she did withdraw from her resi- residency, which would have been the hardest thing she's ever done in her life, probably. Eloise was like, I'm really proud of you. Like something that she had never heard before from Eloise. She had kind of gotten it from her parents, but her parents were the opposite of proud of her. They were only proud of her because she was well accomplished. Like, Yeah. And Eloise was like, I'm proud of you for being true to yourself. And so that was like really heartwarming. And the fact that they like started, you know, forming more of a relationship now that they're older I think that's also something that's really relatable to me because there is a four-year age gap between me and my older siblings so it's like yeah now that we're adults we're actually friends whereas when we were growing up it kind of felt like there was just enough like time between us that it was just like it was hard to relate to each other and so that was like a really nice part of the book well and it also just ties in with the fact that Emily Henry didn't force a narrative that you have to be successful and happy. And so I'm just really glad that Harriet didn't end up going back into the medical field because I feel like if there had been like an epilogue or something, it could have been like, yeah, and I later returned to the medical field and like this type of thing mm-hmm. when she clearly like just was not in love with it. And so I just thought that was really, really nice that she ended up going into pottery and she's like if I don't like it I'll find something else to do and like there wasn't anything that tied her down to like one specific thing yeah and that's certainly becoming a neurosurgeon is not something to do that is not for the the weak of heart (laughs) like it is not it is not for people who are like "Mm, maybe I'd like it 
No. No, like you either know that's what you want to do or <laughs> you don't do it. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine. Like truly. Oh, one thing I don't want to mention, you know, I really just appreciated the tension throughout the book. And I like that there actually wasn't that much spice in it. Like even for an Emily Henry book, like it was not spicy. And I feel like in some of her past books, like she's had a few scenes where I'm just like, oh, okay, girl. But like this one, like it was just meant to appreciate like the connection between the two rather than the actual scene that happened. Yeah. Like you could just feel the emotional bond between them. Right. Without going into detail. Yeah, they were like, it wasn't like sex of passion. It was like sex of like need. Necessity, yeah. Like whenever they actually like did finally have their makeup sex, it was like, it's because they needed to touch each other. And that's another thing that I think that like is a really amazing like part of this book is like when his love language is physical touch. And like, I think you said this, that Harriet's love language is the fact that Wynne is touching her. Like she doesn't want anyone else to touch her, just Wynne. And I think that's so perfect for them. And the fact that like part of his physical touch is he'll like rub the scar that she has on her finger from the pact with Cleo and Sabrina. And that just like brings it all full circle. And it's like, they're all one big family. And I'm like, I could cry just thinking. I could, about yeah, I could actually sob just talking about this book. No, they're <laughs> packed, like, just warmed my little dead heart. It was just so perfect it that was. Harriet's like, we're not doing a blood pack because that's not very hygienic. So let's, like, burn our fingerprints off. And then we can, like, frame each other for murders. She is so real for that, though. Like, <laughs> blood pact is gross. Like, let's do this instead. Yeah, let's just burn ourselves. Yeah, I love their friendship. What a good book. But let's do some discussion questions. Yeah. Before I start crying. (laughs) No kidding. We'll start with this one. Which character do you relate the most to and why? I think I do relate to Wynn the most. Just based off of like a feeling of having very successful siblings And, like, being someone who, like, struggled academically, who never really figured out exactly, like, what they wanted to go into. And, unfortunately, I haven't had my groundbreaking moment that Wynn has had yet. It's coming, though. Um, But I did really, really relate to that. Um, You know, my older sister, she's currently in her residency. My younger sister, she is a chemical engineer uh, my little brother, he is in college still. I finished college. I did finish. Yeah, you did. By the skin of my teeth that I finished. But you did. But I sure don't use it. And no, I just on on that level, I do, I do relate quite a bit to Wynn and like having those self-deprecating moments where you just joke about it and you kind of throw yourself under the bus because it's the easiest thing to do. And that's definitely something I can relate to. Yeah, and I, well, in more ways than one now, I think I relate the most to Harriet because, first of all, I hate it whenever you do that. (laughs) And also, like, my husband's guilty of it, too. He'll kind of, like, put himself down for similar reasons. And it's like, no, like, you are so much more than that. But I understand, like, where that's coming from. But, yeah, I hate it. Hate it when you guys do that. Yeah. (laughs) Stop it. But... 
I think I relate to Harriet the most too, just because I did kind of grow up in a family that didn't feel like super like supportive necessarily. And like, I don't even mean that. And like, I'm not trying to say that in a hurtful way, but like, I didn't have like, like the unconditional support of my family. You know what yeah. I mean? So I did kind of feel like I had to do something successful. <laughs> Otherwise yeah. they would be disappointed in me. And also I relate to Harriet in the way that she kind of like has to play a mediator. Like she has to, whenever people are fighting, she has to step in. Um, and sometimes that kind of bites you in the ass because then it gets turned on to you. And so like, I really feel like Harriet um, in those ways. But there are a lot of ways that I could relate to multiple of these characters. Yeah, like Sabrina, I feel like I can relate to her in a sense that like I want to keep everyone together and relive like the glory days. But also like I understand kind of where Cleo is coming from, where you have to understand that you are growing up and things are different and that's okay. I know. Like it's just a different stage of life. Uh, Yeah, that's I don't know. I like that you could kind of grab something from each one of these characters and learn from it I know except for Parth except for Parth (laughs) god bless him I love him so much but what did you really do he didn't do anything it's okay we love and that's okay um do you have somewhere or something that you consider your happy place so I've been trying to think about this one actually because if I do I don't think I have a location like I've never had like a consistent like vacation home or destination you know that just feels Mm -hmm. like a happy place um but as far as like something like I do feel like reading yeah that's probably mine yeah and then honestly that's kind of fun because like anywhere can be your happy place like it takes you all over the world you know so I yes reading for sure but I feel like specific if I wanted to get really specific like my happy place is reading but in the autumn where I can have my windows open oh, and yeah like I can just sit and not do anything the entire day except read a book yes it's probably my happy place because autumn is my favorite time of year and I can definitely create a happy place like I would love to have a little tiny like a comfortable cottage in the woods Yes, I have an imaginary happy place. An imaginary happy place, yes. Just a comfy little cottage in the woods. Me, my husband, our dogs, and I'm reading, and I'm drinking coffee. Soup on the stove. Soup on the stove for dinner. Yeah, that's my happy place, and it's fake. (laughs) No, I get that. No, I I definitely reading. Reading's my happy place, and I kind of feel like it's the same for most of the characters, and that's why they kept going to Murder, She Read yes the books were everyone's happy place exactly and I thought it was so surprising that Harriet's favorite were like the murder mystery cozy murders she was like they're so cozy and I was like oh my god she's mentally ill (laughs) get it though I get it too but I was like bestie (laughs) so question number three do you think fifteen thousand dollars is too much for a handmade table yes Yes, I do too. Yeah, yeah, I that's a lot bad. of money. That's a lot of money. I was like, maybe I just need to see this table. Maybe like, I've never really owned big. anything of quality in my life, though. I know, like, my kitchen table is actually one that was, like, bought secondhand off of Facebook Marketplace by my in-laws. We didn't even pay for it. 
My toxic trait is that I would rather buy something that's a piece of shit so I can have more money to buy more piece of shit items. Yeah. Like, I don't need anything of quality. Like, what I am I, need Queen a of England? $15,000 table? Yeah. I think, yeah, we're actually- They have a mortgage. <laughs> but if any of you guys would pay $15,000 for, like, a quality handmade table- I'd like, love to see what know. it looks like. Yeah, send in pictures if you have, like, a gorgeous dining table. Let me know what a $15,000 table looks like. (laughs) You guys can't. There's no way. You're all too poor, right? There's no way anyone's buying a $15,000 table. I think especially if you're listening to this podcast, you don't have (laughs) $15,000. We're all about on the same page here. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you're wasting your time listening to us talk, you do not have $15,000 to just spend right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) no offense love you all that was not (laughs) (laughs) self-deprecating but that wraps up our discussion questions for happy place this truly is my new favorite book like it's just so good i'm gonna reread it in probably a month (laughs) yeah i'll probably reread it once a month every month for the next year we are starting probably one of my favorite series it's called kingdom of the wicked it's by carrie maniscalco I am stoked. It's going to be a three-part series, so we will be covering this for a while. It's going to be everything King of the Wicked, so please go ahead and get started on it. Yeah, it'll actually take us through the end of July, so we'll be busy for a little bit. I'm really excited. I have not read these yet, and Tabby loves them. They're so. so good. Cannot wait. So go ahead, get started on those. We'll talk to you next week. And as always, let's get lit.